0: One of the things that influenced um, the date of our departure was uh when we could finish Romans six. It seems uh that it is just fitting that we uh not leave in the middle of a chapter, and and so tonight we can, uh by God's kindness, wrap up uh Ephesians excuse me, Romans chapter six, and uh it is a verse that is uh, very familiar to many of you, uh, and uh, it has a somewhat of a biographical note for me, uh, which I'd like, and, and many of you have already heard uh, this story. I'll just, I'll just hint at it uh, very briefly and not, not bore you with the details. But uh, I think you know that uh, when I graduated from high school, I uh, went on to the University of Tennessee, and um, they're immediately associated with an with an agency known as the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and uh, because I've always had somewhat of a glib tongue, was um, was asked by the Fellowship of Christian Athletes to um, to represent them in these various venues and uh, junior high schools and uh, civic organizations and uh, even at, at one one of their bigger rallies, uh, you know, sang in a trio. And anyway, I was. I was very involved uh, in that uh, Christian organization known as the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And I was, tw- you know, in my late teens and early twenties, and and uh, every time I spoke, I only had really one sermon that I used. Uh, I never got asked back to the second place, so you didn't have to have two. You know, I only had, I only needed one. So. Um, I, I had this one message that I used over and over and over again and, and in my mind's eye what I see is standing behind a little uh, uh, music stand much like that or maybe exactly like that and a group of junior high students gathering uh, to listen to me uh, and with my orange blazer on which of course in Knoxville is worth something. But, um, uh, you know, all those little junior hires gathering, and, and I had one thing to say. My, my one sermon was always the same. Uh, the wages of sin is death. And you know, I I would do as best I could to dramatize the whole um, thing. Uh, You know me in drama, Uh, and and I would uh, you know say you know over a scowl. uh, You know, if you keep on sinning, you're gonna end up going to hell, and you gotta stop that sinning, and and on and on I would go. And I you know I somehow was able to find enough words to fill 25, 30 minutes with uh, for the wages of sin is death, and. Then of course uh, graduated, married Susie. We moved to Fort Lauderdale and uh, started visiting churches, trying to find a church home, uh, which makes me very sympathetic to those of you who have to shop for new churches uh, and are perhaps even in that uh, that process now. But we did it. We we did the church shopping thing, and um, but of course visited uh, a particular Presbyterian church in in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And four nights later, got a phone call and. Um, uh, got a visit from the pastor who happened to be Dr. D. James Kennedy, who uh, brought a couple of people over to visit us and and uh, i 'm telling you that story at all to, to come to this point. Um, the first text that Jim Kennedy used in our apartment that night, the night that, that God granted us ears to hear the gospel, was Romans chapter six verse twenty three and the the thing that was so flabbergasting, not uh, what was so flabbergasting, was not the content so much, which was in itself flabbergasting. The the thing that was so surprising is all of those years that I had been using Romans six twenty three. By the way, I didn't even know where it was. I just knew that it was in the Bible, and you know everybody would recognize it from being the Bible. And and um, uh, the amazing thing is, the only thing that I used was the first half of it. Because I had never heard or seen, that I, in my recollection, um, the second half of the verse. Because what you have in Romans 6.23 is really a two-half verse, very clearly uh, two halves to it. Because Paul is concluding an argument here where he has sought to compare uh, a life that is lived in bondage to sin or a life that is uh, lived in bondage to, to God uh, and righteousness. So you would, you would normally expect for this last summary statement to, um, to, uh, to contain two halves to it, and indeed it does. It's just the second half that I had never heard before. The, the entire text, of course, goes like this, as you well know. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And I remember going to bed that night, and Susie and I had been married about three months uh, when we, uh, when Jim Kennedy visited us. And I remember uh, not a whole lot about that night. Well, I mean, I remember something about. But one of the things I do remember is saying to Susie, "I cannot believe that something as wonderful as heaven is free for 22 years." And and the the sad part, of course, of that story is, I was a spokesman. For a Christian organization that is very well thought of and is a, doing a great job across America. I was one of the spokesmen of that organization and had not, the, not a clue about the gospel. The only thing I knew is something about the, uh, the wages of sin is death. And yes, indeed, there's, there's certainly a, uh, nothing untrue about that. It's just so truncated and emasculated and, and so limited because the rest of the text is... The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's what Jim Kennedy kept, he kept pounding the night that he was with us. is It's a free gift. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. And again, I thought all of my life, for those first two, 20, 22 years being raised in the church, uh, there all the time, a spokesman for FC, I thought it had something to do with, with uh, dessert. That is, Deserving. Uh, something that I earned, something that I merited, and Jim Kennedy told us it was a free gift. And that was, that's the autobiographical note about this text for me. This, this text has a great deal of um, uh, importance in a lot of ways to us. It was probably uh, the text that began to alert us to uh, the fact that we, what we possessed was wrong. And then, of course, uh, it was about four nights later uh, on a Tuesday night where we uh, visited a place called the Greenhouse where the gospel was preached out of uh, Matthew chapter 7 where um, uh, God drew me to himself. But uh, all of that to say, this text is of great significance to us. It is one of the great statements of the gospel in the Bible. Uh, now, there's maybe it's not the most famous. It uh, doesn't compete with, say, a John 3.16 but it is one of the great statements of the gospel uh, contained or found anywhere in the New Testament. And I want to uh, draw your attention to a couple of things in it and certainly be through by 730. But. Um, there are three uh, points that I would like to make or draw out of this text. Three things, three observations about it, and then we're going to expand each of those three and make a couple of summary comments and I'll I'll finish. But there are three things that I think um, that grow out of this text and can be learned uh, out of it. Number one, what Paul is teaching, uh, I think, is that there there are two possibilities facing every individual who comes into the world. And only two. There are two options, not three. There are two options, two possibilities facing every individual that was ever born. The second point is that those two possibilities, those two um, approaches, if you will, are entirely and completely different from each other. There is nothing that the two of them have in common. That is, these two approaches to spiritual attainment, are are, there's only two, and they are vastly and completely and totally different from each other. And then three, each one of these options leads by an inexorable law to ends or to a terminus which are quite inevitable. Paul is particularly concerned to emphasize the difference in the ends of these two approaches. There are only two, they are vastly different, and the ends are, are also part of that difference. But he's con- particularly concerned that you understand how different are the ends to which these two approaches lead and terminate. Now, those are the three observations from the text. Let me expand on those briefly, and and then I'll quit. First of all, there are two possibilities, and only two. Um, there are two masters, and only two. The whole, this whole section that really begins around verse twelve, no, no, not verse twelve, verse um, uh, verse fifteen, and compl- and concludes in verse twenty-three. This whole section is this comparison and contrast between being a slavery to sin or a slavery to God. There are only two of those. There is no in-between. You know, uh, back in World War I, uh, you know, how the the, the two armies uh, faced each other for months on end before finally somebody made a move and won that thing. But they were, um, uh, you know, they dug in those trenches and they lived in those trenches for just months and perhaps even years. And th- there was, a, there was a, 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 a section in between the two armies that grew famous. It was a title, a title that we use even today. It was called No Man's Land. Nobody was to enter in there because if you did, you could expect certain doom. Well, the point is, you had this army, you had this army, and then you had No Man's Land. You had three options. There are no three options when it comes to the things of God. There is either a servitude... Of, of sin or there is a servitude of God <clears throat> there is not a third now I know that some of you have uh, have been trained in circles where you have been taught a third option called the carnal Christian there is certainly within one of those options various degrees of one's spiritual maturation and attainment yes indeed but there is not a third option, as if there's a saved person, a non-saved person in this, this guy that has absolutely no fruit of his uh, salvation, but, uh, he says he's saved. You know, there is no third option. There is either a tyranny of sin or is th- there is a tyranny of God. There's only two options. There's two options and only two options. Now, secondly, those two options are completely different from each other. The primary characteristic of one is that it grants wages for the wages of sin. The wages of the tyranny of sin. Guys, the the name of the game, the name of the game in in a uh, a mastery of sin is wages. Uh, Trust me, anybody outside of grace will get exactly what they deserved. They will get what they've earned. They will uh, be rewarded with exactly what uh, they they have produced. Because the nature of the system is that it's based on wages. You get what you've earned. It's all yours. Celebrate it. And of course, we'll get to this in a minute, but the the wages of sin is death. But the, the nature of the system is that it functions based on merit. And I earn what I get. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, how many of us, how many years did you spend thinking that? I spent the first 22. I don't know how many you spent, but I spent the first 22 years thinking... That the way that, that all of culture operates is you do this, you get that, put a nickel in, you get a nickel's worth out, uh, be a good boy, keep your nose clean, work hard, and you'll be promoted, you'll make a lot of money. Because because the whole my whole concept of life is the way to get things is to work hard for them. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. And I brought that into my understanding of um, uh, spiritual things. Consequently, I was very comfortable with the statement, the wages of sin is death. So, the the essence of the system is wages. You want a nice word to summarize religion? It is the word wages. Dessert. Earning. But on the other hand, this other alternative is based on a free gift. You know, guys, um, that was the thing that was so Revelatory to both Susie and myself in September of 1970. What a free gift! We had no idea. I remember after um, after becoming a Christian um, on some—I forget how long we had been Christians—but I remember I remember seeing Billy Graham on television, and my response was, "Wow! Finally!" We're on the same side. I was finally on Billy's team, you know, um, and and didn't even know I wasn't on his team, but um, uh, but finally, but the emphasis was, it's a free gift, a free, and it was like, whoa! And I think I told you the story about uh, we became Christians in September, and and you know I've been raised all those years in a in a denominational environment where I'd never heard or at least didn't have ears to hear. And, And then in December, uh, my parents came down to visit us um, and spend a little time with their beloved children in the sunny confines of South Florida. And we lived in a little two-bedroom apartment. And by the end of their four-day visit, my mother had locked herself uh, in the second bedroom and wouldn't come out because I wanted her to know it was a free gift. (laughs) And, and, you know, I didn't know much of anything else but this whole concept of, oh, you know what? You know, guys, <clears throat> I hope this is not offensive to many. <laughs> uh, maybe a few of it would be fine, but if it's not. Uh, um, but have you ever heard this statement about Roman Catholics make the best Christians? Have you ever heard that? You know why that is? Because they get out from underneath that. They get out from underneath that. Oh, oh, what? It's a free gift. I didn't know. And it's like somebody let them out of a prison. Well, indeed they did. Guys, all I'm saying is, the one system is completely unlike the other system because one is based on merit. The other is a gift. The other is solely the result of God's goodness and God's grace. One says in terms of religion, do The other says, done. They're vastly different. There is no overlap. Because one is based entirely upon unmerited favor. The other is based on merit or supposed merit. Now thirdly, the other point that I would make from this text is, you must notice the ends to which both of these alternatives lead. There are only two, they are vastly different, and they have different ends. The, the most um, critical part of the difference is the end to which they lead. One ends in death, the other ends in life. Now guys, truly or surely you understand that the death that is mentioned here or is in view here is not the death that we all die. It's the death that uh, John mentions in I think it's Revelation chapter 20. It's either 20 or 21. I think it's 20. Beginning about verse 11, he talks about the second death. There is a death that we all experience, yet shall they live again. But there is a second death. The ends of that system is death. A second death an eternal death an eternal separation from god one of these alternatives leads to a final irreversible separation from god and um there is a great you know do you remember the story about i think it's luke 16 about um, lazarus and the rich man you know they both die and the rich man goes to hell and lazarus goes to heaven and and um the, and the Lazar and the, the, the rich man prays and, or calls out and says, "Send somebody to dip their finger in the water and to touch my tongue." And heaven replies, "That's not possible." And probably the most terrifying words in the Bible where, where, where heaven then says, "Between us and you is a great chasm." What's the next word? Fixed. A great chasm. Fixed. Unmovable. Unbridgeable. Unpassable. Irreversible. You know, guys, the the horror of the second death is not that it's a second death. The horror is that it's permanent. You know, my the the thing, I, the story I love to tell. It's RC is the one I got it from. Where, um, you know, he said people ask me all the time. They ask me all the time about um, uh, do I believe that heaven is really a, a lake of fire? Did I say heaven? Excuse me. Thank you, dear. Uh, that's the first time she's spoken to me in six weeks. Um, uh, <laughs> and that was to correct me. <laughs> the closer we get to the 23rd, the more silent it's become around my house. <laughs> I said that to Ben Clark tonight, and Ben Clark says, Well, you just tell her that God asked her to go, but you're going to bring her back. <laughs> So just take that. I'm bringing you back here. <laughs> um, uh, but no, do you really believe that hell is a lake of fire? And R.C. says, no, no, I don't believe that heaven's a lake of fire. Hell is a lake. <laughs> we have conversation here. <laughs> no, I don't believe that hell is a lake of fire. And the people who ask, they say, oh, then it's just, a, it's just a, 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 an illustration, just a picture. And R.C. says, wait a minute, wait a minute, I didn't say that. I didn't say it was just a picture. What I said is, that it is a picture and illustrations or symbols always fall short of the reality to which they point. And he goes on to say, I believe anybody in hell today would give their right arm, would give anything they possessed, if hell We're only a lake of fire. The point is, guys, the wages of sin is that. And Paul is very concerned that we know the, the, the extraordinary difference because then he says, but the free gift of God is eternal life. There are three contrasts in this text, ladies and gentlemen. There are two masters. That's the first contrast. There are two terms of service. Merit and grace. And there are two ends at which we arrive. Death and life. But that's not the end of this verse. Because there's one more thing that needs to be said how has all this become possible? In Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, ladies and gentlemen, what is it that causes men and women who have heard the gospel to deliberately prefer to live in a life of? Sin and uncleanness and impurity and, and all of its iniquity and all of its disaster and all of the pain that it produces. What is it that, 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 they, that causes them to deliberately choose such a life in spite of the fact that they are told again and again that it will certainly lead to a second death? What is it? It is that they are dead in their trespasses and sins. They are blinded by the God of this world. And thus, they choose to remain in such a a fearful state. But on the other hand, ladies and gentlemen, what is it that makes any of us break from such an existence and embrace a crucified Savior? It is grace. It is God's sovereign, infinite grace and kindness. The reason that we sit here not on our way to death, but on our way to life, is not because we're smarter, not because we're cuter, not because we're more valuable. Jerry Brasher told a story at our little session meeting tonight where there is a ministry that that. That serves on a on a garbage dump in Guatemala City in Guatemala, and um, that the churches around the area doesn't want these people who are from the dump to come to their churches uh, because they're nasty and dirty and stinky and and they call them scavengers. And yet this one ministry there in Guatemala, uh, the whole world calls them scavengers. And this one ministry there called the Potter's House or something like that. They call them treasures you're a treasure, my friend, but not because your portfolio is full of wise investments you're a treasure because of grace you're a treasure because God has seen fit to draw you out of a kingdom of darkness and into a kingdom of light. Paul closes this treatment where really it's chapter the entirety of chapter six is a parenthesis he is addressing he pauses in his his major theme of and we'll get back to in chapter 8 but he by the way chapter 7 is a parenthesis too but he pauses in his pursuit of what he's really trying to teach to address this thing of of chapter of verse 1 shall we sin that grace can abound he spent the whole chapter on it but as he closes this uh, this treatment of that that horrible suggestion he has one more opportunity to or uses takes one more opportunity to mention the gospel Because it seems to me that that the message of salvation was never very far from the apostle's mind. It, 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 It seems like it was always on the tip of his tongue, even while he was developing great theological insights. That part was always on the tip of his tongue. Because you know, brethren, do you remember, have you forgotten? Please don't forget that we exist for them. We exist for them. We don't exist to make your spiritual life more comfortable. You know, teaching is wonderful. And you've got some wonderful teachers around here on this staff. Koinonia, fellowship. That's a wonderful thing as well. But we exist for them. The reason that God left us behind is not so that we can make more money. You know, there is a man in this room that I know of that makes a lot of money. And he told me one day, because I was talking to him about retiring, and he said, I don't want to retire, Jimmy. I've got to make more money. Because I've got to give it to the kingdom of God. <laughs> and, and he didn't leave us around here so that we can corner more uh, profit shares or more market share. He left us around here, ladies and gentlemen, because we are to be an occupying force on planet Earth. We exist for them. We are just a church full of beggars who um, are given the responsibility of telling other people where we found the bread. We're just a bunch of treasures that God um, hopefully will use to lead other treasures to Himself. The wages of sin is death the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord have you received the free gift of eternal life I know this is rather morbid but we may die over the Atlantic your blood will not be on my hands have you received the gift of eternal life if not, do it now. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for the, uh, the the scriptures that remind us of what our priorities. That even in the great in the mind of the great apostle Paul, who who was the 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 gift to the church of uh, of this masterful theologian, never far from his heart and lips was a was a proclamation of. Uh, the truths about there being only two alternatives and that those two alternatives are vastly different and those two alternatives have different ends to which they arrive. And I pray, O God, that everybody within the sound of my voice will have heard, will have heard more than perhaps tonight, but more important than hearing, would have embraced this marvelous gift of grace that turns people who are scavengers people in bondage to sin into people who are treasures and who have been set free to a new obedience a new tyranny a new service a new master a new mastery that leads to the enjoyment of everlasting freedom we make our prayer of course and father keep us keep us O god Keep us both. Keep my wife and myself. Keep this flock in which you have given me the privilege of shepherding. Guard us all, Father. We commend you to God and the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among them which are sanctified. Our only confidence is the goodness of God. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.